Hello and welcome to The Paper Crane, a podcast from Codes in the Clouds and a misspent youth productions. Hold on. I've got to stop you here. I've got I've got an anecdote relating to this very part of the podcast and I hope it's going to clear some things up for some people. Oh my goodness. Okay. This is out of the ordinary. Uh, You know, I've started going to college here in Germany. No. What? (laughs) This is, we talked about this a few moments ago. Um, Well, I've been doing my my duty and telling people about the podcast and uh yeah you know so hopefully we've got some new new listeners in my college at least mm-hmm. oh wow um, well done and one guy had listened to it and he listened to a whole episode he told me and um i think his english is pretty good to um to hear it and understand it but to to say it isn't as good he's he's gone he's gone through a he's gone through a whole episode but then he came to me the next day and said, "Yeah, I just, I just had one question. Um, what is a code in cloud?" <laughs> <laughs> so that I just is a very like, good question. He, yeah, that's very good. yeah. Yeah. So a, a code in cloud is a member of the band Codes in the Clouds. Yes. That's yes, us. That's we are a band. Yes, yeah, me. So feel free to listen to our music as well. But on this week's episode. We have the fantastic Eric Cheneau. Oh, yes, please. Right. Another thing that we never explain. Take it away, fact robot. (laughs) What is a fact robot? This doesn't need explaining. (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, on this week's show, we also have Kieran. Oh, goodness. I never gave you guys the the chance to introduce (laughs) yourself, did I? That's fine. I'll take that. Kieran's introduction is, is good enough for me. You don't need to hear my name in my voice. Eric Cheneau facts. Eric Cheneau is a Canadian guitarist, songwriter, singer, and sound sculptor. Yeah. Hello. Oh, I love that. He has released seven solo albums of experimental song on the Montreal label, which we're all huge fans of here, Constellation Records. Cheneau's styles vary... Oh, I didn't write this, by the way, before Jack gets angry with me. Cheneau's styles vary from adventurous and uncompromising avant folk, out jazz, and <laughs> pop compositions. Out jazz is going to be your new standard, isn't it? Yeah. This is this is maybe related to inside out music, which is something we cover on the yeah. on the interview upcoming. Though based in France for the past decade, Cheneau was a key figure in Toronto's fertile indie and avant improv music scenes throughout the 1990s and early 2000s, releasing his first solo album of instrumental improv guitar in 1999 and co-founding the experimental music label Rat Drifting in 2001. Uh, And I thought this might be a nice little tie-in to our teenage bands feature. Previously, he was a core member of the cult Toronto post-punk band Fleg Camp. Uh, yes. Uh, so yeah, unfortunately uh, for the listener, I wasn't on this podcast again. But yeah, it's not it's not all bad. No, in fact, no, listeners. In fact, is very good. Uh, Jack, Jack and I are absent, and that's broadly fine. Yeah, uh, normally. Stephen Kieran are absolutely adequate in this episode, and mm. Eric is fascinating. He is fascinating. I, I, I would have been upset if there were more of us and I couldn't get as much from him. Like, I, yeah. I say it at the end of this interview, and, you know, it's true. I really, like, reappraised how I think about making music after talking with him. Like, he's he's got a, a, a just a really 
different take on like every process involved in creativity. Super, super interesting guy. Right, enjoy the this amazing chat with Eric Cheneau. very much looking forward to performing and especially performing a number of concerts in a row because that's really different you get into this space that can only come through time and through hearing that music in different a different space every night so yeah i can't wait for us it's kind of relative to our relationship with each other and how tight we are with the music mm. as a band we always say just at the end of the tour like this would be the perfect time to go on tour now because we are like yeah properly in the zone yeah, we figured it out we finally figured out what's going on <laughs> yeah exactly no those those first couple concerts you can get lucky and they can be okay but mostly it's a lot of muscles being pushed around and I could hear it. I could hear myself lack of patience. I can hear um, stretching. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know if that's, you know, that's not necessarily a bad sound. Or I feel like something happens after time that, um, especially a string of concerts in a row where you can get into the zone. It's interesting you said about that kind of process of taking the music out, feeding off of the reaction and seeing how that changes your relationship to mm-hmm. it. Was that something do you think you were conscious of before kind of like how a stand-up comedian takes their new material out and mm-hmm. they seem to have a much better relationship to the audience because it's you know if they don't laugh then that joke's not going to survive yeah i think there's a different pressure on it. i mean stand-up stand-up comedy is something that i i listen to a lot oh good i yeah. love it as a form oh wicked yeah and by far the the best practitioner of that is from your neck of the woods uh, Stuart lee um, oh wow! There's so much. I mean, I've watched the, that skit. Um, give it to me straight, like a cider. Oh made, yeah. Uh, what is it? Hundred percent pear. <laughs> it's a twenty minute, twenty five minute skit that is just. It's. I don't know how you do comedy after that. Yeah. I don't know how people <laughs> are going to be able to do comedy <laughs> after. But I really love stand up comedy for a lot of reasons. One, I love to laugh. I love jokes, uh, but it's also the rhythm and the release and tension that happens continuously uh, throughout the set of stand-up comedy. Um, I'm not sure it's the same for me. If I play a concert and I think it was good, there's kind of nobody in the audience that could change my mind about that. Do you think they're a factor in that feeling, though, just subconsciously? Uh, Yeah, more subconsciously, not really looking for approval but you can sense how people listen and when you're given the opportunity with a a room full of ears that are really listening you feel it intensely you know that um my music isn't very loud so i can really hear people listening which is a beautiful thing to uh experience and encounter funny you should mention stuart lee you're you're the second guest on this podcast to mention him uh, directly i think a lot of musicians feel a huge amount of empathy for i mean his rhythm is incredible it's the process is evident in the in the output yeah. and it's all there it's all there's kind of n- weirdly nothing being hidden and it's really flat but somehow within that flatness is a really rich 
amount of nuance. And I can't really think of many stand-up comedians that are able... I mean, I love stuff like Chris Rock. I could watch Chris Rock all day. Uh, there's uh, Stephen Wright is one I love very, very much. In fact, I wanted to make a like a bootleg CD and put... Steve, do you guys know Stephen Wright? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Right. I just don't know how much that travels uh, out of North America. But with taking a Stephen Wright concert and mixing it with Lauren Mazakane Connors. Right, okay. And just re- and selling not sell, giving that CD away at concerts of like <laughs> Stephen Wright and Lauren Mazakane Connors duo <laughs> made in Pro Tools because I thought that that would be an amazing thing to listen to. I've I've done it. I've listened to it myself. You're all about mixtures, aren't you? Like collaborations. Yeah. Sort of funny cocktails and mixtures, juxtapositions of different elements that's very evident in the style of your music Mm, i suppose the best way i would put it is a kind of psychedelia that comes from simultaneity two things that share a space that may or may not seem like they have a lot in common but because they're together we deal with the fact that they're together and in that space between those two things or three things or ten things a whole new world opens up and yeah, that interests me a lot. Absolutely. Is that where the uh, the term inside out music was, was mm, coined? No. Because I'm fascinated by that idea. Okay, well, no, inside out, I mean, that, I mean, first of all, that comes from my friend Martin Arnold. Uh, I mean, he didn't make up the term, but I always had this feeling that inside out came about talking about jazz solos, but I might be wrong about talking about how a jazz solo can be inside the tune and take it out and still be inside the tune all at the same time. So I think it, we're talking about perhaps different things. I mean, simultaneity can obviously be a part of inside-out experiences. But in terms of simultaneity, I think that I'm thinking about simultaneity has within itself as a concept um, no real hierarchy because they're simultaneous. They aren't it's not built on a structure, a power structure. There are two things that get to retain their individuality or their, um, they get to retain themselves. Um, and one of them isn't consumed or subsumed by the other. And there's a third or many multiple thirds that get created by those two things or however many things uh, being put together. And sure, I mean, within the music that I make, uh, I mean, most definitely the guitar and voice are are living a somewhat simultaneous existence. And that's not something I decided or conceptualized. It's something I heard and decided that I liked. And so I, I, I fostered it and pushed it and sometimes push it to somewhat extremes for myself. But I think to push it to the extremes that I can imagine in my mind, I would have to be much more at ease with playing without my mind. Because there's a certain amount of concentration that it takes to play something, and there's a certain amount of concentration that it takes to remember a lyric. And I don't think it's about being able to concentrate more. I think it's being able to concentrate differently. Um... Uh, and perhaps less. Yeah, you want to be able to forget the technical structures that you're using yeah. and 
create more of a uh, of, of a direct channel. Yeah. I, I'm always interested in an, when an artist has such a clear sound or an apparent kind of theory that that, that the music sits within. Mm-hmm. When that theory comes to the actual music is it post applied like do you think Hmm. do you just play what 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 works for you and it comes out and then you think i like this because it's xyz or do you think Hmm. i want to create xyz i wouldn't trust anything that any musician says about that (laughs) (laughs) especially after when one is is talking about a record they made i wouldn't listen to a syllable of what they think they did and how they did it and the reasons they did it. Because there's, there's this kind of, uh, in, in any praxis, there's this continual return of information going in both directions, in all directions at once. There's information going in, there's reflection upon that information, and then there is um, an amount of work and thought putting into trying to see where um, how that information can alter and apply itself to to the material, and um, I think it's I think it's really hard to know what the hell is going on. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think. I mean, I I'm I have no idea. You know, it's, we have thoughts and we rationalize our activities. Uh, but we stumble across stuff, then we try to make sense of it. And um, so often we're explaining a music with a th- by a thought that actually came after, that came upon listening to it. Yeah. But these two things are, this is not linear time. This is, yeah. this is what's amazing about a practice is the, the reflection and activity and how they, they merge together and how they um, become inseparable between theory and practice it's they're inseparable it's not that one relies on the other it's that one i don't think either of them exist without the other do you find that people's opinions and thoughts on the theory of it usually match up with your intentions more and more i'd have to say when i read or hear people's thoughts about what they think they're hearing it's usually not that far away from how i um i hear it too for the most part you know, I think that's something that I I feel more strongly as time goes by uh, for various reasons. You know, people uh, get more accustomed to what I'm doing or people actually hearing what I'm doing. That's one thing. <laughs> you know, there was a large portion of my life where that I couldn't say that that was necessarily true. Right. But yeah, I mean, also at other times, you know, I often play concerts for a room full of people that have no idea what I'm thinking about. Right. And I really, really need those concerts, which isn't to say that I want to play for like a 12 year old's birthday party, which I would. Yeah, that would be <laughs> Depending, de- depending, maybe 12 year, no, maybe not 12. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know what that would mean. But I do think that um, there is something about talking to somebody who you know, might start saying, yeah, it really reminded me of Genesis. And I'm like, whoa, that's great. Like, and that's, it just means that's what he's listening to. And he, and 
there's a joy that he gets in listening. I mean, if he likes the music that he's talking, usually they don't come up to you if they don't like it. So yeah, you know, they <laughs> yeah. spare you. They spare you that pain. But I really, I really, really, really need to also play for people who are not necessarily um, within this within the same kind of cultural landscape. As I might be, because you're going to bring your experience and what you, your not maybe not experience expectations, yeah, to it. And I just like the rawness of it. Yeah. And usually, I know when I'm playing in front of a room where that is true. And I play differently. Not to say that I truncate or try to introduce myself with how I play, but I'm aware of it, and I almost get to hear it as unknowably as as they do it's another one of those third things that you're talking about isn't it it's the the relationship between the the listener and the the creator yeah and you know my experience is that um the thing that uh emerges is that i hear a lot of people laughing when i play when i'm playing for folks who aren't aware of my music before <laughs> do you take that as a good sign Abs- absolutely i don't feel like they're laughing at me but that could be uh, some sort of uh self-defense mechanism <laughs> i have built into myself you know i don't know yeah, i think it's too technically good for people yeah. to laugh at it but what are they laughing at i mean the sounds or the yeah you bonk you know like <laughs> something happening in the guitar probably not laughing at the vocals that much unless they have uncomfortable uh relationships with uh, uh with effeminate uh aspects of um the male voice but uh you know no i think the music's i th- i mean something i think about quite a bit is not to make funny music you know it's not i'm not i'm not weird al yankovic or whatever <laughs> but i do find that there is something incredibly beautiful and melancholic in humor and it can be really beautiful when it's socially shared in a space that feels safe for everyone and that's a that's pretty wonderful i think well i i don't know if i would laugh out loud at one of your shows but i i see there is a humor have you been to one of my shows though Uh, i haven't unfortunately you might it gets funnier alive i think yeah Yeah. but there's there is an inherent like imbalance there that that's what's so interesting about it i mean there's definitely a humor in your music videos as well oh yeah that's definitely true yeah there what was this what was the video the u.s open final you're thinking of Mm. yeah i mean i just (laughs) <laughs> that 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 did make me laugh yeah just, there you go yeah we were laughing yeah we thought it was, we thought it was brilliant it was such a yeah, inc- yeah what a great yeah, concept the courage <laughs> of it and the boldness to just zoom in on this screen well that's you with is that you with ryan driver that is ryan driver to my left yeah or on the screen right yeah so we was probably we should explain for the listener that it's that it there's a very slow pan across like a living room that's right and it zooms in on you're watching the u.s open final i believe 2010 u.s final might it may or may not be a a final i forget we actually had to we had it wasn't live we because we we needed something so we had to actually like watch a pre-recorded thing really all right so you had to to clear it all Yeah. yeah Yeah, because Eric Kasdan, the director, needed there were certain qualities that we needed. We wanted to f- try to find a version of of uh, without commentary. There is commentary, I think, and it works really well. But um, well, first of all, there wasn't any tennis matches at that. This was in the middle of the winter, right? Um, 
We even faked it by wearing short sleeve uh, shirts. Wow! We were, oh yeah, we were we we were very aware that we were lying. I mean, that's the commitment to the joke. Even going down to clearing a video like that. Yeah, <laughs> but there's yeah. there's something about like yeah, thinking about it now, I hadn't thought about it at the time. Why is it funny? The more <laughs> the, the closer it zooms in, and then you're just seeing the service boxes and and the tennis ball just as a blur mm-hmm. going from corner to yeah. corner. And for some reason, it that is a hilarious thing. I think there's a lot of reasons. First of all, you have no idea that the camera's going to pan on a television. Yeah. Absolutely um, not. Yeah. Because why would two musicians be performing <laughs> in front of a television, especially with one? Ryan isn't looking at it too much, but I'm only looking at it. Yeah. And it's basically a, you know, a kind of performance of something I do all the time, which is play guitar along with tennis i'm a huge tennis fan and uh i like noodling around on a guitar while while watching tennis so that's the that was the impetus for making that uh video so it's it's at once very truthful yeah and like a journal and also completely staged and and totally fake yeah i mean it's staged (laughs) as myself eric kasdan and ryan driver are willing to you know we don't follow the script so well so how does a an Eric Cheneau record start by watching tennis? Is that is that how? Nah, they... <laughs> I don't really. Not so much. I wish. I wish. I do have a piece that I'd love to release called "U.S. Open to Love," and it's kind of an homage to tennis and Paul Blay. That's a funny title. And because he has a record called "Open to Love," which is fantastic solo piano, and so the U.S. Open and "Open to Love." combined Mm -hmm. and it's just me playing like really like barely there nylon string guitar like just like shitty jazz chords and like scales played at like 50 bpm not even scales but just like ding 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 (laughs) for the entire match of a semi-finals um u.s open but the commentary is so irritating (laughs) <laughs> it's, uh, and it, it, it has stopped me from releasing it because I want to try to do it again with with different with different commentary. The concept the concept might come out differently though if you just try and do it again. You might the Yeah, it it would be different. I would let it I mean it would be kinda different. I I know I know exactly what I do when I'm left alone not paying attention to what I'm doing on a nylon string guitar <laughs> and it's always gonna sound like fling 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 <laughs> like just like basic jazz chord like like cheesy jazz chords and but I think the an undercurrent of something else that you're mixing it with does give things a new life. Like well over a decade ago now I I, I did a, a similar thing with it was a scene from The Lady Vanishes, an, an old um, Hitchcock movie. Yeah, I know the film. Yeah, the the original, the the mm-hmm. yeah, and it was. I mean, it wasn't a song that was suitable for our band. We're instrumental post rock bands, and mm-hmm. this, this was very sort of straight, like calm pop song. But yeah, it's about certain little notes, little inflections that that just time nicely with this conversation that's happening underneath. Mm. And it's the same thing with with that kind of project, right? It just you're creating those little little relationships. Yeah, I mean, we get to experiment in a place that's pretty safe, right? Like ex- experimenting with simultaneity in our life is there are dangers that one must uh, 
one wouldn't want to um, put together uh, an encounter of uh, walking your daughter across the street and, I don't know, something really dangerous. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so yeah. there's certain simultaneities in our, in our life that it's, we, don't, we can't experiment as openly with, but music and, and, and all art is a place where we do get to experiment with, with that and no one gets hurt. Who cares? Just don't listen to it if you don't like it. It's no, yeah. no problem. Yeah, you're, you're, you're definitely an experimenter, right? So like, hmm. would you describe your music as experimental? I do often because I'm lazy. <laughs> yeah, it depends it's... who I'm talking to. But I do have a, I, the, I've changed the way I talk about my music because I was in um, Poland before the start of a tour and the, the, the person who had met me at the airport who was going to bring me to my first gig brought me to a, um, a concert of, uh, I think, electronics and drums, an improvised music concert, I think. And so we were there hanging out and listening to music and then went outside to drink and smoke and stuff. And there was a, a couple, uh, obviously American, obviously from New York, and we were just kind of talking. He's like, so, hey, are you a musician? I'm like, yeah, I'm a musician. And he's like, oh, you're here on tour? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, how about you guys? And I'm like, oh, we're just traveling through Europe. I'm playing some shows. And he's like, well, what kind of music do you, what kind of, what do you do? And for whatever reason, I just went, well, I sing super sweetly. And my guitar goes boing, 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 boing. <laughs> and, and he said, are you Eric Cheneau? <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, first of all, I'm in Poland. But the fact that he, that made him know who I might be. Um, so now that's what I say. When people say, what kind of music do you make? That's exactly whether I'm speaking in French or in English. That's what I say. Yeah, I mean, it's very, it's very apt. And also, again, it's humorous, right? Which yeah. is like we're talking about. And it, it gets, I don't have to describe it within a genre, which, you know, I probably could. It's not so hard. You know, it's ballads, it's improvised, they're long. But, you know, the word experimental yeah. means nothing to anyone. No. Yeah, it's really, it's very, that, that's, that's the thing. It's, that's why I ask, because it's, it's, it's very weak yeah. because it's so general. It's weak and also it, it can mean weird things to people. Like, you know, in France, you say, oh, it's experimental. And they think of, it's just electronic noise. Yeah. Because that, that the scene here of, of experimental music for them, not, that's not completely true, but a lot has been colonized by this kind of idea that the word experimental has been attached to that kind of, of music. And, um, I don't know, you say experimental to your neighbor, you know, I mean, yeah. what the hell does that fucking mean? <laughs> it's a great word though, experimental or, you know, it's, a, we don't want to wear it out. I mean, it's a great word, uh, as a musician, because there's no limits to it, but then trying to explain it to someone, it could either put them off or draw them in all at the same time. Yeah. And really anyone doing anything is always experimenting. Well, yeah, that's true. That is true. One way or another. <laughs> I mean, is, is Towns Van Zandt an experimental musician? He experimented like crazy with, you know, bringing blues and, and, and certain ways of writing lyrics um, and certain ways of cadencing melodies. I mean, that's experimenting. So, you know, but I'm, you know, you're not, 
he's not going to be in the experimental music section. I, I think it's about, it's more about process. It's like you could describe the end product of your music and give someone completely the wrong idea because it it is kind of like jarring in an interesting way. Like it gets your back up and, and you're thinking about how is this working together? But also it's really soothing and, and calming mm. music at, mm. just at the same time. And yeah, when you say avant-garde or experimental or whatever, you yeah, it does evoke these other kind of feelings. I think what would be most important for me to know from you about like the spirit of your music is is really what comes first, like the sweet singing or the bong 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 guitar. They both um, they both coexist in me. I have a huge reverence for beauty that's been problematic in my uh, artistic practice. For almost the saccharine, I'd say, I really get touched by things that are beautiful. But the problem with that is being that the beautiful is something that's always in flux. And as a musician, my as someone who loves the beautiful, my work is to expand what that is. And so that reverence gets has in the past gotten in the end continues i imagine gotten in the way of me being able to experiment actually and that that is oh, that's something that's my that's my burden really is that i want everything to be pretty but that that's also what then that's the the magic formula of your of what makes your stuff yours i would say why you can tell an eric Cheneau record from another is that it's that those both both those elements mm. are in there well that's nice of you to say <laughs> <laughs> to be honest though there's a lot of experimental music that is insanely beautiful and a lot of it has come from england i'm thinking about the that period of time um the obscure records brian eno's um record label i've believe it was in the 1980s i'm a horrible historian but i mean there was john cage david toop a whack of gavin Breyer's early works john white um kind of stuff that was around the scratch orchestra as well at the time and there's stuff like the sinking of the titanic there's jesus blood never failed me yet there's um you know gavin Breyer's is a really good there's the Irma opera. Um, this music is unrelentingly beautiful. And I've been hugely influenced by that music. I mean, the obscure record collection to me is, um, I don't know if I would have really been able to, to find where I'm at without it, without that okay. Without that record, that record label gave me a little bit of like, hey don't worry about it so much yeah like expanding possibilities and just, yeah well if they're doing that then 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 i can sort of take that on and do do anything yeah. with it yeah absolutely i mean there's a lot of examples like that jack nietzsche is another example of somebody who makes incredibly strange and beautiful music there's a lot of examples though i think that's uh another reason why your records sit really nicely on constellation as well because that's a uh, every one of well currently a lot of people's favorite experimental label and hmm. the type of artists they release and nothing's the same that's true the label has become 
more and more. It's really multiplied and become quite varied. Um, there are some gems in there. Perhaps artists like myself that are are maybe less known or less uh, as strongly affiliated with the label as some others. Um, stuff like Feu Therese or um, Johnny Void. Um, those records are are insanely beautiful. Yeah. And all of Sandro Perry, Pomopopo as well. I mean, yeah. obviously. <laughs> He's a beaut. I embarrassingly only first heard of your music um, back in 2018. That's a long time ago. <laughs> it's before COVID. It was quite a while ago. <laughs> but it was actually at a Jessica Moss show. Oh, okay. Um, it was the record that um, was playing before she came on stage. And then uh, when, she, when, when she came on stage, she praised the record highly. And then when we had her on the podcast last year, she spoke of you really highly. Oh. So like, do you have, are you a part of that family in the same way that people see Godspeed and a Silvermount Zion and, and uh, Jerusalem, my heart, mm. they're all very, cl- very close as artists. Are you geographically too? They all live within, you know, yeah. basically two yeah, blocks uh, yeah, of each other. True. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I, well, I never lived in Montreal. So um, in some ways, yes. And in some ways, no, I'm dear friends with Radwan. Um, I know Ephraim, and I have, in fact, he recorded my first Constellation record and is partly responsible for me to be, be on the label. He helped oh, wow. ask, get Donnie in to, to do that. And he was super, gave me a lot of confidence in him. That was really a precious uh, thing. Uh, Jessica I've known for even way, beyond, way before Constellation. We had uh, common friends. She's also from Toronto. Uh, I didn't really know her in Toronto, but there was a Toronto tie. And uh, there's a um, Sandro Perry, also who lives in Toronto, um, is a very dear friend of mine. Um, and then the two label uh, masters, uh, <laughs> Ian Ilavsky and Don Wilkie, who I've known since the punk rock days. Constellation did something that... I, no one had really done um, of our generation uh, so strongly and it heavily influenced a lot of people in Toronto, not only musically, but, but in terms of starting labels and doing things yourself. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, you know what, it's really strange to think about being part of anything right now, isn't it? Yeah. It's so strange. Your connections to things seem so abstract. Yeah, well... But yes, when I go to Montreal, I feel like, um, you know, the weird, quiet little uncle gets taken in. <laughs> and, uh, and they're all very sweet to me. I mean, some of them I know very, very, very intimately. Very... Uh, Radwan being potentially the one I know the best. So how did um because you you co-found you had your own label at the time, right? Yeah, which I've rebooted actually. Oh, wicked. Yeah. So what was the idea about not releasing your own music through your own label and going to someone like Constellation? Well, they asked me. And not only did they ask me, but they asked me to make a record of me performing my songs which I had never done. All right. And which I might have never done. Right. If they hadn't asked. I was super touched. It obviously was, you know, no one had ever asked me to, to do much of anything. It was, you know, a lot of the stuff you kind of make up on your own with your friends and no one really cares and you don't care that no one cares. 
but this was a little bit of like a, a different, this was, you know, something and they were asking for something. They're like, we want to hear this from you. They curated the damn thing and it changed my music. And now it's huge. It's become a central part of my musical practice. Well, if, if that's not a family connection, then I don't know exactly. what is. <laughs> I think sod, sod the sort of geographical side of it. Yeah. I mean, if my father asked me to do something because that's what he wanted me to do, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's like meta family, meta familial. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I certainly, if I, I never listened to my father like I listened to Ian Don. <laughs> so going from a going from a post punk band to Eric Cheneau, the solo artist, yeah, was more was more of a was constellation. Well, there was a lot of stuff in between. I stopped playing in post punk bands in like ninety two, ninety three, and then basically spent a decade or more just playing improvised music. Right. And at the same time, I was writing songs, the kind of songs that that I play now. Um, for others to to play uh, and sing. Oh right! And I enjoyed that. It was like um, the cheapest way to be a, a to get to get that feeling of being a composer. Not because you want to be a composer. That doesn't mean much to me at all. But um, <laughs> the feeling of writing something, not hearing it, and then hearing it played to you, as, and you get to just listen. Uh, I really enjoyed that, and it was consolation that brought me out of that uh, relationship to song. So how did the move to, I mean, obviously you've been there a long time now, but the move mm-hmm. to France, how did that affect your music? Uh, you know, that's a really good question. No one's asked me that. I don't think it changed hugely and something that actually became a, a, uh, a conscious effort. Um, as I was saying that I have a, um, a kind of reverence for beauty. I also have a lot of reverence for musicians that I love and almost all of them live in Toronto. My favorite music in the world is from my friends in Toronto. And I think that there was a, my problem with reverence and the power of, of reverence over just my own subjectivity, um, made it very difficult for me to do certain things while in Toronto. And once I left, that reverence turned into nostalgia. Right. And now, obviously, we're all contemporary subjects here, and nostalgia is poo-pooed <laughs> uh, for you know for good reason. But I know I knew myself just enough to know that I should uh, that it'd be trouble for me to make an enemy of any of my tendencies, whether it be. A, a reverence for beautiful, the beautiful, or my inclination towards nostalgia, and so I needed to come to terms with how to pervert it. And my music started to become a perversion of my nostalgia for Toronto, and it's something that I'm not sure it's it's quite evident to myself now, but for the first few years six six or seven years it was at the center of my music making they were like love letters perverted love letters to (laughs) to toronto and in some ways i was able to soak all the things that i soaked in there and i was i had just the distance and the illusion of nostalgia to be able to do something with it 
that I don't know if, if I would have been able, I don't know if I'm strong enough to deal with it at such a close proximity. I think I need some distance. And moving to France allowed me that distance. Yeah, I mean, it sounds very freeing, is what the experience was. Absolutely, you know, absolutely. Well, maybe yeah. we, we should employ some of this sort of thinking with us now creating music in from different countries. It's It's true, it's true. But you're a band, so you guys have got it lucky and not so lucky because none of you get to do exactly what you want. No. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Oh, the democracy of a band. And what that is a definition of freedom to me. I mean, I've had to f- work really hard at figuring out not to do everything I want alone. In a band, you don't have to put the work in. You're not, it's not going to happen. And um, I've had to uh, invent a hypothetical ensemble that I'm a part of so that it's not always my intention that I hear when I listen to my music because I don't want to hear everything I'm thinking. And you guys, um, you guys got it, that part of it easier. Yeah. There are other trials and tribulations, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) But interesting your perspective on it though, that like sort of, it's very easy to just think, Oh, I want my will to get through into this song. Mm -hmm. And I have to work out a way of bypassing that filter of the other members Mm -hmm. or just like, how is the filter going to affect this? And do I like that change? Mm -hmm. But for you, you're seeing the value of that and the positive. Absolutely. I've never, I've never thought of it in that way. Everything that I love to listen to in my music happens despite me, not because of whatever (laughs) that might mean. I mean, that's hard to unpack. (laughs) I don't know who I'm, I don't know who I'm talking about. (laughs) Who the fuck cares? Uh, one one thing I wanted to ask was um, mm-hmm. because I've I've, so I've I've also not seen you live yet, but um, I've watched a lot of live shows on YouTube, mm-hmm. and uh, much like me, you love loop pedals and guitar pedals. No loop pedals. None of it's on a loop. There is no loops. How are you doing it? Ah, technical questions. What's happened there? There are no loops. I love hip hop, but. I use no loops. <laughs> you cre- you create no live loops at all. Okay. No. Oh. Nothing. Let's see. What it is? It's a noise gate, and there are rhythms that I record that aren't necessarily always repeating into a thing, and that opens up the harmonic material of my guitar. We don't hear the 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 actual beat, right? But we hear the beat expressed as harmony. Wow. Oh, I see. It opens up a synthesized. Uh, harmonic spectrum of my guitar that is coming out of a different pickup on my guitar. Wow! So everything is hap- everything is being generated, except for the thing that is opening the the thing the rhythmic patterns that are opening that harmonic material. Um, that is pre-recorded. I see. But um, that's new that it's pre-recorded. I used to use a sequencer that I would just tap out a rhythm. But it became much too constraining because it was very strict time. Yeah. As anyone who's ever used a sequencer knows, um, it was very hard to get kind of loping, swinging beats out of it. Yeah. But yeah, so no loops. Wow. But continue about the um, the pedals. We can, we, if you wish to talk about that. Yeah. So yes. Yeah, so do you have a pedal addiction, or are you sensible and you know exactly what you want for the sounds you want, and that's it? 
Or... I've been using the same pedals for a decade, pretty much. That's the thing I can't do. I can't do that. As soon as I see something or a sound I like, I just have to have it. <laughs> I'm bloody-minded when it comes to them. I understand. Well, are you led by the sounds? Are you led by the sounds you're creating or led by the structure that you want to apply the sounds to? Let's see. I had the idea that a rhythm could open up this harmonic material for to make beating chords of which I could improvise over so that my the music that I was making would be have more forward motion than it had in the past um cuz I like dance music I like music that moves and I wanted to experiment more with that and I thought it would be more lively too so that took many years to figure out but I finally found one thing that kind of and it's basically a series of noise gates that are more or less controllable but not completely there's an aleatory um aspect to it that I can I can't control um but I can stop it all on a dime and it all comes from whatever I'm doing on the guitar so in some ways there is an amount of of control but how it gets processed is is pretty out of my control um the wawa pedal which i use uh bloody mindedly um <laughs> came because i was playing in a trio playing the music of carla blay um and my friend a composer and musician friend martin arnold gave me a wawa, a wawa pedal and after that concert he's like i think that's your pedal and so I used now I have that. And so I didn't even I always loved um walling things, you know, sly stone um being a, a really good example of that. And other th- like the fuzz, Ephraim gave that to me after recording with him. Um I don't know if I would really I don't really like being in music stores and I've been using the same guitar for 21 years. That's amazing. I mean, you know, I I do I do look up like there there's pedal companies I adore and I always look up what's going on. But I, unless I can pervert the pedal, I don't want something that just gives me a sound. I'm not really interested in that. I like the sound of 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 a a guitar uh unamplified actually is my favorite. So it it needs to be something that that is so strong in its uh, character that it completely alters the way I play. That I am its slave. Yeah. Um, I don't use them to get tasty tones. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Tones aren't something I want to taste. Because I, you know. I, I had noticed that on the credits for the album, it says, you know, vocals, electric guitar, unamplified electric guitar. Yeah. It's like, like, so that was like really important to you to make that distinction. Like yeah. it's a different instrument. And it's a beautiful word. It's a beautiful word, unamplified electric guitar. It's a, yeah. a, a beautiful conjunction. It's fascinating about the process with the noise gates because on you, your list of influences, the the whole hip hop thing, like I, I was sort of trying to find it like, oh, it's it must just be in the pattern of that <laughs> beat on, on Say Laura, for example. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and and I'm, I'm thinking throughout that oh i'm just this is just post application i'm just i wouldn't have i wouldn't have in a million years 
listed like Gangstar as, a, as no. an influence unless I'd read it. No. But when you're talking about your process there, that to me is something like fundamentally like hip hop-esque. Yeah. In that you're, you're creating this beat and then you're improvising over it. So just replace playing guitar, improvising over it with like a vocal, you know, yeah. just just spitting on the, on the top of it. And I write my beats on a on an old um, Boss drum machine. Right, yeah. And once I found a beat, I will listen to it for like 10 hours straight. <laughs> I just have it com- coming out of my speakers. And um, that seems to me like something that somebody who makes hip-hop might do. Yeah. Um, I like hip-hop for a lot of reasons. I mean, you get wild music and somebody doing lyrical wonders and, and crazy things with their mouth. But I mean, yeah, a lot of, I, I, a lot of that stuff was just me sitting there with the drum machine and having EPMD on my headphones and just tapping out rhythms that weren't there, like along with the rhythms that were there, kind of counterpoint rhythms to the music I was listening to as a way to kind of bypass this, what kind of beat do I want? Whereas all the beats just came out of me listening to other music that I love and playing along weirdly and that's a nice kind of unintentional uh way of of producing um music it's just yeah it's like a a direct inspiration source yeah direct exactly it's like exactly it's taking inspiration uh to its uh bloody-minded conclusion (laughs) i will often play not often. I've done this before, where I will play the guitar improvis- the improvisation of a guitar over one of my songs, but in my right speaker of my headphones, I have somebody else's music going on. Really? Oh, wow! That, that fits tonally enough that just to kind of like give me something else to think about, like in the same key, and you know that kind of thing. But generally speaking, but it doesn't <laughs> even really bother me if it isn't. Wow! Uh, as long as it's as long as it's not completely dissonant. That wouldn't be very enjoyable. It's it's that first step of creating anything, the em- empty page on the door, or just just or the or an empty an empty page in a book when you're trying to write. Just if you can do anything yeah. to take yourself out of yourself. Exactly, get rid of the empty page. That's the idea. The exactly the problem is is the, is the problem itself is the empty page. Eliminate it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I was as I was saying before about just like hearing hearing lyrics of certain artists like you included and then actively trying to misunderstand those lyrics mm-hmm. is, is a, that's like I'm, I mean I'm not much of a lyric writer and if I do it's not for anything to do with our band it's just a personal thing yeah but you know for example I was, so I listened to Skull Splitter yeah and the title track of that it's got the line uh the wind the wind has made a coast of me yes I misheard that and yeah. thought it was something with the word ghost instead of coast yeah went to sleep Woke up the next morning and I thought I'd written the line, you have made a coast of me. And I thought, oh, that's great. And then I, I from that line, wrote, wrote like basically a full song. And yeah. then in preparation for this interview, I saw that lyric and thought, oh, yeah, that's the lyric I thought I wrote. So then that, now that whole thing's now out. Well, I didn't write it either. <laughs> yeah. Every single word of that song is taken from a list of the hundred top winners of a... Um, ale contest in norwich really yeah unbelievable that's yeah well so you're finding inspiration wherever you can <laughs> cast condition ales to be more specific the top hundred uh finalists of whatever year that was uh cast condition ale from the 
two leading pubs in Norwich that are actually right across from the street from each other. Been to both. They're stunning places. I forget their names, unfortunately. <laughs> I have no memory, so I'm, I'm of no help for the Norwich Tourism Board. And, um, <laughs> yeah, every word. Every word. Skull Splitter is the name of a beer. Uh, I mean, I don't remember the rest of the lyrics right now, but um, <laughs> yeah, a lot actually. A lot. I did, I got a lot of songs out of that list. I think three or four. Um, I, I really. Um, it's really been enlightening talking to you about process. I'm just. I'm. I'm reappraising wow. how I'm going to approach writing, making music. Well, that's something. That's well. That's a very generous thing of you to say. That's very sweet. But there's lots of things. It's. It, it's. Whew, just the ways of getting out of yourself. You know exercises to make the world a little bit bigger for yourself man i just want more space with and i I want more space that doesn't have me in it (laughs) (laughs) and that's hard when i'm me (laughs) Uh, and that was eric chanot Thank you so much to Eric for giving up some time to chat with us uh, just before he scuttled off onto a little UK tour. Uh, went to the Brighton show. It was very, very good. Awesome. Awesome, mate. I first heard his music when uh, I saw Jessica Moss play and she just had his album on oh. uh, before she went on. Shazam to that oh, mother cool. and uh, here we are. Did you, did, you, did you happen to listen to the... The playlist that I made you the other week, Kieran? <sighs> yes. I'm interested. Yeah. <laughs> there was a gap. There was a gap. I've there. listened to Hesitation. a little playlist. I couldn't I couldn't tell over Zoom whether or not there was a sigh of disdain before you said yes. I thought I was going to hate it. <gasps> really? Ooh, it's thought. an exciting start. So for, just to fill listeners in, because uh, even regular listeners might not remember the, uh, our regular feature... I made you a mixtape because you're wrong. Um, I made Kieran a mixtape because he was wrong about uh, Kate Bush, someone he doesn't like the music of. But incredible opinion. I want to. I want to. I only. In fact, I, did, I said I was going to make you a playlist of seven songs. I only gave you five. I think five. Does that even constitute a playlist? Five songs. You can, surely there's more. Five to felt Kate like Bush. enough. Enough. Really? <laughs> Look, anything more than two is a list, Jack. <laughs> Kieran's pressing play on them, so. <laughs> Fair enough. So let's hear, I want to hear some thoughts then, Kieran. So yeah. before I give my overall rating of the playlist, uh, I totally understand why Joe picked these tracks for me. Right. Um, the Did track, it feel curated to In terms of the, the musical style, uh, not the singing style, but the musical style, um, there was a lot of it, much similar to the Beatles playlist he made me in season one, uh, a lot of the music was catered to to what I would listen to. However, yeah, do you know what I, I was? Like I was trying to uh, avoid uh, the heavy vocals, like the, the 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 vocal heavy stuff. That's a good move for Kieran's sake. For Kieran, yeah. for Kieran specifically, I was thinking of Kieran. Oh, genuinely, when I was making it, um, uh, when when Kieran first said he didn't like Kate Bush, I was like, "You're insane. You're thick. I hate you." <laughs> 
And then I ca- and then it came to the actual place, and I was trying to listen to it with Kieran's ears, and I was like, mm, this is actually quite difficult. <laughs> I, think I, can, I can actually hear why Kieran hates all of this music. <laughs> and that's called empathy, Joe. <laughs> wow. So the uh, the five tracks that Joe picked for me, I asked him not to pick Running Up That Hill, because haven't we all heard that to death? <laughs> Have you not heard it? <laughs> Do you know it's on Stranger Things? Um... So the five songs he picked for me, I don't know how many you guys know, but uh, A Coral Room, uh, Wow, from Ariel. Wow's a huge hit. Uh, Army Dreamers, which is actually the only one I had heard prior to this playlist being made. I don't know if you want me to do a track by track. (laughs) Uh, I'd say give us like some highlights, or like highlights of your review. Right, so Army Dreamers... uh, I was sure that I must have heard this in a film or a TV show. Uh, so this was the one that I actually did like the most out of the five tracks. Uh, it had a very Joanna Newsom-style vibe to it. Yes, that's exactly why I included it. Uh, the guitar, the acoustic guitar picking, very harp reminiscent. Mm. Uh, so Joanna Newsom again. Uh, however, I spent about an hour on Google searching for what film or TV show <laughs> this was in. Uh, and then after about an hour, I've just, I gave up and I concluded that Joe must play in the van when we're on tour. It's a torsum. It's a torsum. So, uh, that's, that's why you know that. Yeah, that 15, 15-year-old long film that hasn't stopped. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, the, uh, the cinematic release of our tour diaries hasn't come out yet. But that was my favourite out of the five. Okay. Will that make um, it into circulation? Will you listen to that again? I would listen to that song again. That's big. That's pretty Last big. Last point for the yeah. list. Uh, so, A Coral Room... Uh, I thought mm-hmm. very Tori Amos vibes, like the piano melodies. Again, similar to Among Angels, really loved the piano melodies in it. Uh, on a, both of those songs, there's a very does she have does she pitch shift her vocals or does she sometimes have males singing on her tracks? I think I think she does have I think she does have other singers turn up because it's made me realise what Agnes Obel has got inspiration for her last few records <laughs> from with the that's, it, that's once again why I was putting these songs in because I'm I'm trying to find the songs that influence the artist yeah I so these crazy like. pitch shift vocals all over the shop um, mm-hmm. Agnes Obel does pitch shift them because I've seen it live uh, whereas I feel like Kate Bush is probably doing it herself uh, again like. Wow was my least favourite. Uh, I liked the mm. arpeggiated synth. It might be. Uh, the bending sounds on the synth was similar to the only thing I can do on the guitar, my drumstick trick. Uh, <laughs> Your one trick. When the chorus kicks in, it felt it did feel a bit David Bowie esque, which I didn't mind. But then I just thought it was just so theatrical. Uh, wasn't digging the flute vibe across some of these tracks. A lot of flute in her tracks, which I'm not a big fan of. Do you know, do you know what? I really, I, I held back from like the more sort of uh, industrial sounding Kate Bush songs, but I think I should have stuck more of them on because I think you'd have been a bigger fan of songs like "Sat in Your Lap" that might have had a slightly harsher sound, like appeal to your uh, your goth side. <laughs> Just from the similar artists that you're that you're mentioning there, when when you first revealed that you didn't like. Kate Bush my main thought was like of those types of artists and how there's such a massive crossover like especially but mainly I was thinking from like a perspective of the fans like people who like Kate Bush like all of these people and 
all of those other people are some of your favorite artists, Kieran. So it was like really surprising that you didn't like. Oh uh, yeah, Bush, all you know? three artists that I mentioned that sounded like so Tori Amos, uh, Agnes Obel, Joanna Newsom. I love all of them. So I don't. Yeah. Re- I just feel it's, like I it's just too what? theatrical, maybe. There's there's not know. many people that would turn up to Joanna Newsom concerts with a Velcro tool wallet. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do that either. I would have done it if it was ten years earlier. <laughs> but it's credit it's credit to your list, Joe. It's credit to your list that Kieran went to those those names like without prompting. Because I, mm. I was thinking about it as well, and I, I, even though I sort of you're aware of that link, I couldn't really pinpoint any songs where I was thinking, oh, I'll play that, and that will make him mm. think of Joanna Newsom, for example. Yeah, I mean, but it's also, a, you know, uh, a demerit for me that I, I said I would give him seven songs, and I only gave him five because I could. That, like, honestly, it's hard to listen to Kate Bush without going. Like and to try and put new ears on it, you know, and without going, you know, oh yeah, or oh, oh, forgive that this sounds a bit eighties, or oh, that synth sounds a bit cheesy, but it's of the time. You just you forgive those things because of you're able to put it in context. But yeah. when you're listening to it, you're trying to listen to it as something brand new. It's it's and especially with Kieran's ears. I mean, we've all been yeah. in Kieran's car. It's an absolute nightmare. <laughs> Dark place, drone fest. <laughs> I listened to a podcast that was saying about how incredible the um, surge into the the Hot 100 for post Stranger Things was, and I learned about the rules of like a recurrent single coming back in. It's it's very much hindered by the rules, like Billboard's rules. Like, you know, it's like streams, radio play, and and downloads and, and buying it. And if you are a recurrent single you're hindered by the fact firstly that you're not getting radio play initially but unless you get a certain level in each of the three areas there's like rules that that stop you from entering into a certain chart position regardless of how many times it's played it's really it's really complex yeah so and like um that's why for years, they, they had to change the rules to accommodate um, Mariah Carey at Christmas. That was the first thing I was going to ask you about. <laughs> yeah. So, and when they did change the rules, it coincided with uh, one of the anniversaries of that song, and they did a big right. promotion and a new video, which allowed them to get certain other stats, trying to get her record-breaking right. number one. Yeah, so anyway... Okay, that's interesting. Basically, it shows that the impact of the Stranger Things thing for Kate Bush is it's way bigger than anything else similar to that that we've seen. Wowza. So yeah, I think it's like a whole cultural reset for her. But your playlist is good as well, Joe. I'm sure that's not not harming her. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, it's time to talk about next week's guest... Who's next week's guest, Joe? Next week's guest, Joe, is the uh, Boxer Rebellion guitarist and documentary filmmaker mm-hmm. Todd Howe. Hello. Someone... I'm a big fan of the Boxer Rebellion, and I'm a big fan of documentaries, and I'm a big fan of Todd Howe. Yeah, so... you've heard of him. You've heard of him. This so... podcast is almost made for me. <laughs> <laughs> How can uh, people get in touch with us? We've had no teenage band stories this week, well, or at least not. I haven't checked any emails. 
Right, if you want the chance to have your email read by Joe Power, <laughs> all you have to do is send it to info at codesinthecouds.net or get us on the socials, Codes Clouds. Easy. Yeah, Joe was out of the country. That's why I had to do the editing of this this yeah. uh, this episode. That is true. Um, so, apo- so apologies. I've also <laughs> done some more of your work, Joe. I oh, don't yeah. know if you noticed when you listened. He had so many. He was referencing so many other artists, like people that he knew, and also people like just that influenced him. And he had such right. a clear like direction of why he was mentioning. Okay. Him. He wasn't name dropping. I think I know. I think I know where this is going. What? So do you? You're expecting an email I'm going to send you with the, that entire list of everyone he mentioned so you can put it in the link under this episode uh, that's not what I was expecting well that's what you're getting <laughs> I'm going to send you a list and I want you to put it in the description of this episode of everyone that he mentioned as well as a link to the video we discussed in the episode as well that should listeners I'd like you to note the lack of please and what's this <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, this is boy. I want to thank you I'll give you I I, the most I can extend to you is a you're welcome. Do you know, all I'll say to you is this, Steve. Because I, I know that you think that I'm maybe being a little bit grisly <laughs> here. But if you can't handle me at my paper, <laughs> you don't deserve me at my crane. <laughs> yes, yep. that's very yep. good. Yep. I like it. Yeah, well done. Applause.